I had a dream last night, and I don't usually talk about my dreams, and I don't like it when people tell me about their dreams, because it's usually, usually very self-indulgent. You're watching someone remember, and you're like, I wasn't there. I don't really care. Um, but I had a dream last night that I climbed up a really tall water tower, and when I got to the top, I was in a classroom. I was in a middle school classroom, of all things, of all places, and uh, there's all these young people there, and they were doing school, like they were in desks and learning, and for some reason I was sitting at the desk too, and I'm talking, I, I don't know if I was being a distraction or what, but I started talking to these young people about Jesus, and in my dream I was doing a great job, <laughs> like I was making these connections, I was like, well this is the gospel story, it's exactly like this thing that you can relate to. And some people were interested, and some people were getting it, and some people were like, who is this 40-year-old guy in my classroom just turning back toward what they were supposed to be doing? Um, and I, just, I woke up this morning and I went, I wish I could remember what I said. Because it was so powerful and it was so effective. And it just reminded me, like, that's what I want to do. And I don't know if you have dreams like that, where you have like a brilliant idea for like balancing your your finances or uh, the perfect song lyrics you're like ah oh, if I could only remember what it was it was so perfect in the dream space but then when I woke up it kind of slipped away I, I woke up I was kind of sad this morning because I was like oh that's what that's what I want to see happen that's the kingdom of God that I want to see come in the middle schools in Livermore in Tri-Valley and I was just thinking as I was riding my bike here this morning Jesus didn't miss those opportunities. Like, maybe that's what the dream was about. It wasn't about me in a water tower middle school classroom. It was about Jesus getting it right and having the words of life and the words that challenge some people, turn some people away, draw other people in. But what I walked away was, there's power in these words. And when we take them into our world and offer them to people, they really, truly are life-giving and like I said, I don't normally share my dreams, but I felt like I wanted to invite you into that experience that I had this morning and let you know that's, that's kind of what this time is about, hearing the words of Jesus and then just longing for something to come of them. So I hope that you'll join me in that hope as we go into the words from James this morning. Let's, let's pray real quick, and then I'll say a bunch more stuff. Lord, uh... More of you and less of me. More of you and less of us. Fewer cooks in your kitchen. <laughs> we want to see your kingdom come. We come before you this morning as your vessels, as your servants, awaiting our marching orders, asking how can we be helpful? What would you like us to do? What would you like us to stop doing? And we pray that you'll give us strength and wisdom and courage to hear and obey. Make these words real in our lives. Open up doors, open up possibilities, open relationships. Transform us in any way that we need to be changed. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's this, uh, this family that I know, and I've been thinking about inviting them to church here with us. And they might come. They might actually show up. Um, but I'm, I don't know if they'll fit in 
is, you know, the, the, the marriage is a little bit shaky, it's a little bit rocky, the husband is a little bit of a drinker, maybe a little bit of a drunk even, and um, that affects the relationship with his wife and with his kids, and um, the wife is, she's really sweet, but she's also like the most condescending person I've ever met, and I don't know if I can blame her for that, she, uh, I mean, she's in this messed up relationship, they've, they've had all these struggles, like I could go on and on and tell you about the call the cops, and, and like, they're not getting along. Things are not going well. And again, they're, like, their kids are sweet too, and you can imagine this rocky relationship has impacted them in some negative ways. But the kids are not very well behaved. Like if they showed up here, they'd probably knock over tables and mess things up. And I don't know, I just kind of feel like bracing you for the possibility that this family might come, and we want them to know Jesus, yeah, yeah, for sure, but uh, uh, just disclaimer, fair warning. Some of you are frowning at me, and Lisa's smiling because she knows what I'm doing, and hopefully now you can see this was a little bit of a farce, a little bit of theater. You want to hope that you don't go to a church where your preacher gets up and completely maligns some strangers that don't go to church and whom you've never met, I want you to imagine, what if I did that? What if that was my version of being faithful? It's just like, yeah, I'm preparing them for church. I'm preparing the church for them. What am I actually doing? And making up your mind about people you've never met. I'm judging them. Uh, I'm slandering their names, if that's how I introduce people to others. I, you know, in the interest of, of just being a good information distributor, if I do that, how likely are you guys to invite these people into your home or draw closer into a relationship with them? I've given you all these reasons to keep your distance. I think this is something we should think about. Hopefully, I... I don't do that publicly while I'm preaching or privately when I'm having conversations one-on-one -on -one or in groups or in people that I, I spend more time with. But the fact of the matter is, I don't not do that. I don't never do that. There's certain ways that we talk about people and communicate things that maybe isn't designed to be evil, but what it does is puts ourselves in the seat that God belongs in, the judgment seat. And I've made up my mind about these people, and now I'm making up your mind about folks. James is going to tell us that is really, really not okay. We've heard James say a lot of things about being careful, about how we speak about one another, how we speak to one another. It got me thinking about previous words from James we've heard about talking saying good things about people. He said the thing about the, the two sources of water. You can't have salt water flowing through the same pipes that are supposed to feed a spring that people will drink from. You can't have fresh water and salt water flowing through the same pipes. That doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. In the same way, you can't be cursing people with the same mouths, with the same hearts that we are called to bless people with. You remember a few weeks ago, I gave you some beads? How many of you still have your beads? It's okay if you don't. I had mine in a different pair of pants, and I stopped carrying them around with me pretty early on. But the idea was, take a handful of beads, 
Start your day with them and be intentional, intentional about blessing people, saying kind things and encouraging things to people. And what goes along with that is not cursing people. The title of that sermon, even though I didn't reference it at the time, was called Good Mouth. Sometimes we badmouth people. James says, you need to good mouth people. You need to get good at good mouthing. I meant to say that. I thought that was a fun word, but I totally forgot. Anyway, here it is now. Every time you good mouth, you're supposed to take a bead and transfer it to the other pocket. And by the end of your day or by the end of your morning, you have encouraged people. You've said kind things, and you transfer the beads. That's what this was about. I've got a whole jar full. If you lost your beads, or if you'd like more, or if you need more reminders to good mouth, there they are. You can grab some when we're all done here. This is what James calls his followers to do. Do not slander. Bless and do not curse. And like we've been saying all along, James gets all of his best ideas from Jesus. Jesus calls his followers to do the same thing. We are going to hear James say some pretty direct and pretty simple things. It shouldn't take a preacher 30 minutes to unpack it. Uh, and it's just a couple of verses today. So turn with me to James chapter 4. This is kind of the middle of a section that he's been already in the middle of. Like We're sort of like picking up the story where he left off, where he's encouraging teachers to not become judges, to be careful if you put yourself in a position to teach. But we said we can extend the words he calls people to bless and not curse to anybody, regardless of if you have the status of a teacher. Listen to what James says in just these two verses from chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Okay, that's pretty much it. That could be the whole sermon, is me getting up here every sermon, every Sunday and saying, don't slander one another. Don't forget to good mouth. Bless and don't curse. That's who you are. Ready, go. But there's more. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Pretty clear here, right? Brothers and sisters, slander? Yep. Nope. No. Do not slander one another. And if you're doing it, don't do it. That's not the way of Christ. Pretty clear. It kind of reminds me of a classic comedy bit that I remember from the 90s uh, starring the wonderful old-timey comedian Bob Newhart where he is a therapist and a woman comes into his office and says, I'm, I'm really having trouble. I, I, I feel like I'm claustrophobic. I have this, this fear and I don't know how to get rid of it. And the advice he gives is kind of like James. It's very clear. It's very direct. Uh, Molly and Joseph, go ahead and up that video. Let's... So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most We find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> I'm 
sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, 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 you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. It is. Then stop it. I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop it. But his message is pretty unmistakable. I have this fear. Well, stop it. Just stop it. You kind of get that from James here in these, in these two verses. Um, he says, don't slander one another. And then at the end of verse 12, he says, who are you to judge your neighbor? And we can pretty clearly understand those two ideas. Oh, I'm not the judge, so stop slandering. But there's this part in the middle that seems like there's more going on here. He has more to say, maybe like a good decent therapist would also have more to say. So let's, let's look at this a little bit. He says, anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law somehow and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. And he reminds them there's only one lawgiver and one judge. The one who's able to save and destroy. And then he asks the question, who are you to judge your neighbor. So why this talk about the law? This has come up in the past in James as well. He says, uh, the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Remember in that section about, uh, in verse 3, when the teachers are not presumed to be teachers, don't put yourself in a judgment position. You're not loving your neighbor, you are judging your neighbor. You remember the part when someone comes into the worship gathering, and they're dressed nicely, and they give them the seat of honor, and then a, a shabby-looking fellow comes in, and they make them sit on the floor, you know, get, get away from the center. You're problem if you do that. He says, when you do that, you don't keep one of what Jesus calls the greatest commandments. Greatest commandment number one, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. We sang that earlier. That's the first one. And Jesus said the second one, the close second, you could say, is like it. Love God. The second one is love your neighbor. And when you slander your neighbor, somehow you break both of these laws. I remember when Lisa and I were in Memphis, we went to a youth ministry conference. I think she went, but I didn't go for some reason. But the theme of the conference for the teaching for teenagers was the two greatest commandments. And the teens kept coming, when, when I asked them how the conference that I wasn't at, how it went, they said, oh, we, we learned L1 and L2, L1 and L2. I said, oh, what were the main ideas of the, the teaching? Like, what was the theme of the conference? L1 and L2. Okay. And then they had this little debriefing session. What was the most powerful part of the weekend for you? Like, we traveled all this way. We had these, this powerful worship time. We had all these great adventures in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And they were like, I think, was it? most powerful part for me was L1 and L2, L1 and L2. The students just kept saying over and over again, L1 and L2. And I was like, I, don't, I wasn't there. What are you talking about? What's L1 and what's L2? The two loves, the two 
greatest commandment. Loving God is L1. Loving your neighbor is L2. That stuck with them, and they kept it. James says, when you slander someone, you don't love God, and you don't love your neighbor. And I think we can get the you don't love your neighbor part. It's pretty unkind to make up other people's minds about certain people. You put yourself in the judgment seat. How is that not showing love to God? He kind of unpacks that here. He says, you put yourself in the judge's seat. You presume to be the capital J judge. You are playing God. So it's interesting. We can't just go, all right, I'm tend to talk about people when they're not there. Um, maybe said some things that I shouldn't. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to try to stop it. What James is kind of showing us here is slander is a symptom of a much deeper problem that we have. We can try to treat the, the symptom. We can stop it. I mean, and we certainly should. Stop it. Don't slander. If you're thinking about doing it, you catch yourself doing it, work on that. But he said there's something much more problematic going on there. And that is playing God. And saying, I get to decide these people's future. I get to decide who's in and who's out, who's good, who's better. Where I stand in the ranking system, he's like, that's not your job. You're not going to do any judging. Your job is to bless and not curse. And there is only one lawgiver and judge. Who are you? To judge your neighbor, he calls us to ask. Reminds me of certain, you might go to the doctor with a certain ailment or something like that. We had a relative who had some, some eczema, some, some really dry skin, and they said, I've been putting lotion on it, I've been, I've been treating it on the surface, and it's not going away. And the doctor said, well, that, that's part of it, and certainly lotioning the dry skin will help, but it, it also might be diet-related. And it turned out there was certain thing that they were eating that was like causing the outward problem. It was a deeper issue. The, the itchy and the dry skin stuff was just the symptom. We can treat the symptom, but it'll keep coming back if we don't address the main problem. And you may not come here thinking like, I know God is God. We sing awesome God. We worship God. I want God to be God. I don't have a God complex. I don't, I'm not trying to control everybody in my life. But we're going to touch on this now, and we're going to talk about it more next week. We do tend to make a lot of plans. We do tend to run our lives with a lot of control, and that can easily seep into controlling other people's lives, the lives of our family members, the lives of the people we share space with, the lives of our neighbors we don't even know. We want things to be the way we want them and the way we like them. Whether or not we realize it, James says, that's being God. And you need to stop it. <laughs> so maybe it's just as simple as being reminded, but maybe it reveals to us that we don't trust God. Maybe the deeper issue we need to address is spending more time acknowledging what we've done this morning in our songs. It's just rehearsing the history of God and going, man, I am glad that he is God and I am not. I would not have thought of that. I would not have been able to do this. I am not strong enough. I am not good enough. I cannot pull this off. If I were called to lay down my life in a painful, brutal, separated from God, excruciating way, I 
probably would have snuck away. And that's totally understandable. But to return to the cross, return to the feet of the Lord and to say, wow, I'm glad you're God and I am not, is maybe how we begin to treat the issue. You might have seen the movie Bruce Almighty. Um, I don't know that it's the greatest movie to go and watch. Uh, It's maybe not the best family flick ever. But it poses a very good question. And the outcome is spot on. It's about a guy who's trying to control his life. And he prays to God and he's not getting the yes answers that he wants. And he's really frustrated. And so he curses God under the sky one night. And God shows up and he says, you think you can do better? Give it a try. And uh, hijinks ensue. He has the power of God. And at first it's like, hey, this is great. I can do all these things I want to do. And he's doing all these self-serving things. And he tries to do more helping other people things. But he comes to the realization, I can't do this job. I'm not qualified. God comes back and says, okay, you got a glimpse of what it's like. Let me take over. I'll take it from here. Maybe we all need moments like that where we have somebody say, let God be God. You be you. Like, do be faithful in the things that you're called to do, but don't put yourself in the judge's seat. Don't slander each other. Don't try to control things so much. So what I want us to do as we end this morning is uh, I want us to celebrate God's goodness, God's track record. And I want to do that with the words from Psalm 136. This is a song from Israel's songbook, where maybe they reminded themselves, man, God has been so faithful as a creator, as a redeemer. He rescued us from slavery. We crossed the Red Sea. He defeated armies that were threatening us. And we're so glad we celebrate that God. I want us to be reminded of that, God's faithfulness this morning. And here's how I want to do it. I'm going to read, I think, most of this psalm. It's one of those psalms that has a refrain. I'm going to read a line. And then the refrain is, his faithful love endures forever. So I'm going to say something about God that is true. And this is just me reading through verse by verse from Psalm 136. And when we get to the part, when I pause, basically, I will read, his faithful love endures forever. I want you to declare it along with me. Okay, let's practice. Verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. That was good got it exactly right. As we go through it, you might start to, you know, you say the same thing over and over again, it loses its meaning. Try not to lose the meaning. Try to picture what I'm saying. Remember the story. Envision the glory of God. Try not to sound like a robot uh, by the time we get through to verse 25, because these things are true, and these are good reminders for our hearts. I'm glad that God is God, and I'm not. I'm going to stop trying to fill those shoes. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His His faithful faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him. Who made the heavens so skillfully? His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. 
His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures forever. And the moon and the stars to rule the night. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. There's a story there. Maybe that doesn't sound as exciting (laughs) without the context. But it's a part of God's faithfulness. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and a powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. Stand up with me, please. He led Israel safely through. His faithful love endures forever. He hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. His faithful love endures forever. He killed powerful kings. His faithful love endures forever. God gave the land to these kings as an inheritance. His faithful love endures forever. A special possession to his servant Israel. His faithful love endures forever. Maybe you can relate to this next one personally. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. Does anybody else want to add to this? How has God been faithful in your life? He answers prayers. His faithful love endures forever. He shows up when you least expect it. His faithful love endures forever. We're here today. His faithful love endures forever. He showed mercy. His faithful love endures forever. He restored Darren McRandall to life. His faithful love endures forever. Let's say it twice. His faithful love endures forever. Jesus, his faithful love endures forever. He is good. His faithful love endures forever. And everything else that you're thinking, everything else that we could say, the things that we've witnessed, the things that we've experienced, things we can't explain, things we can't explain, things we consider the help of God, things we consider the 100% intervention of God. I mean, this song could go on forever. <laughs> like the faithful love of God, that his love, faithful love endures forever. Let's not forget that. Let's let him reign. Let's let him be the king. Amen? Amen. That's it for me.